This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Today's episode of The Wicked Library is presented by HorrorMade.com. From horror haikus to author and filmmaker interviews to original art and dark fiction reviews, HorrorMade.com has a terrifically fun collection of dark things that are sure to delight. Whether you're looking for a little inspiration or maybe a place to share your short stories and creepy artwork, HorrorMade.com is your delightfully dark home for horror. Also brought to you by Shadows at the Door. Shadows at the Door is an ever-growing collection of haunted stories inspired by the ghastly, the ghoulish, and the macabre. You can enjoy the pleasing terrors and similar content at ShadowsAtTheDoor.com. so he or she can assure you it's only a story. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. You've been warned, kiddies. jingle your bells yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. It's going to be a dark sleigh ride. We'll leave the Christmas lights on for now. No talking. It's Christmasica time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Lock your doors. It doesn't matter. Hide the children. It doesn't matter. I am coming. Now is the time of the long, dark nights of winter, when spirits howl at your windows in the chill air. You feel the cold and the dark. Deep inside, you feel the primal fear. Trim your trees, light your candles, sing your songs, pretend to feel safe. I am coming. My minions have finished their long work. I watch as they fill my dark carriage with sack upon sack of gifts. I dance as they tack my great beasts with leather and bridle and reins. I laugh as the beasts snort and snicker and prance in place. Gather for protection. Laugh to cover your fear. Drink to bring sleep. Pray against the night. I am coming. Now my pyre burns laden with hulfur and fear and missile. The holy smoke rises and I call to the ancient ones who sired me. The sky ripples and glows with ethereal light. The barrier thins and I prepare for my entry into your realm. I come now. From the great north I ride through the dark night I soar. I come hunting as you sleep into your homes. I 
am here. You sleep. Your children sleep. Did you leave offerings? Hello, kiddies. Welcome to the Chris Massacre episode here at the Wicked Library. That was our worstwhile host, Dan Foytick, and his Yuletide ride. Better get your things in order, kiddies. <laughs> now, let's take a little sleigh ride on over to the other side of the pond. And let's see how one household celebrates Boxing Day by C. Brian Brown. Boxing Day by C. Brian Brown. The baby boy christened Hector after his father would not stop crying. His face, bloody and cherubic, glowed in the light from the hanging oil lamp. Winifred Goodwin, his mother, sat up with effort. Her breath came in labored spurts. The need to hold her son drove her up straighter, despite the hard cramps assaulting her midsection and the midwife's shrill warnings. I will hold my angel before he is cast out to that Amelia Dyer. The Lady Wakefield appeared above Winifred. The Lady's face sheened with sweat, also glowed in the weak light. Her lips pulled back in a snarl, and her hair, she'd pinned it up for the birthing, but Winifred saw little but horns. The angel and the devil. Winifred stretched a hand, her fingers skimming the baby's toes, and then the darkness took her. Winnie stared at herself in the mirror and straightened the black housemaid's dress on her hips and legs. The puffy shoulders made her appear wide, a trait the Lady Wakefield no doubt enjoyed. Winnie slid the white smock over her head. The lace lay flat against her chest and extended downward like a shield, hiding her ample bosom. Winnie turned and tied the strings together in the back, cinching them tightly. She admired the accentuated curve of each hip, and then left the room. Edward, the Wakefield's first footman, busied himself hanging mistletoe at the far end of the hall. He'd placed three already, one above each of the doors, and two more hung from his belt. Last year, Lady Wakefield had given Edward ten to hang in their hall. She'd also had Edward hang the mistletoe much earlier in the season. Winnie avoided the plant but smiled at the bright red berries and the memories of Kiss's past. How many berries had she plucked off this time last year? Boxing Day was a fortnight away, and while the last several months had been trying, she admitted to a great relief at the coming holiday. Winnie made her way to the large sitting room to light the fire. The Lady Wakefield sat in the chair nearest the hearth, The low, glowing embers scarcely heated the room. When Winnie entered, Lady Wakefield pulled her shawl tighter. Their eyes met for the briefest moment, and all pretense ripped away. They were not people who recognized each other, but rather cat and mouse, owl and snake. Winnie immediately lowered her gaze and attended the fire straight away, using the poker and shovel to arrange the embers in a comfortable bed for the thick pieces of wood. The fire tended when he turned to offer a morning greeting to the Lady Wakefield, but the wing chair sat empty, save for the Lady's lingering emotion, which had been present since the birthing. Christmas Eve found Lady Wakefield taking Lottie, 
one of her twin daughters, to the train station where Mr. Hector Wakefield eagerly awaited their arrival. He had gone out of town on business during Winnie's recuperation, no doubt at Lady Wakefield's behest. Mr. Hector, kind and jolly, disliked traveling, or so he'd said. Disliked it so much, he'd turned down several promotions with the railroad to remain close to home these past many months. With the nanny attending Lottie, when he was left in charge of the other twin, Lacey. The twins, 15 years old, had their mother's long brown hair and their father's deep blue eyes. Winnie often dreamt of Mr. Hector's smiling eyes as he pulled a red berry from the mistletoe. Mother hates you, Lacey said. Winnie, on her hands and knees scrubbing dog prints from the tiled entrance hall, managed a shrug. It is not my place to comment on the Lady Wakefield's feelings toward me. The girl leaned against the door, watching Winnie with a calculating gaze. I believe she hates father as well. I would not know. Are you sure? Sometimes I hear mother chanting yours and father's names together, and then she cries. Does she know? Winnie asked, wiping her brow. She stood and grabbed the bucket of dirty water. Would you be so kind as to bring the lamp to the kitchen for me? Your mother insists I scrub the floors again. Lady Wakefield returned, tracking mud and snow from the entrance hall to the kitchen, and called the servants together near the cook fires. Mr. Hector has decided to stay on in London through the winter, she announced. The railroad had made him an irrefutable offer. She stared at Winnie. Clean up the floors before you sleep. Winnie, startled from sleep by a nightmare, sat up and choked off a cry. Her body, wet and tangled in the sheet, trembled. Her small fire had burned down and a chill invaded the air, its gray mist breaking on her body. Two boxes rested on her bed, not far from her feet. Winnie lit the candle on her bedside table and swung it near the gifts. The smaller one had been wrapped in bright red and green paper, the larger in light blue. A black bow completed the decorations. I'm not sure which I'd prefer you open first. When he squeaked as the Lady Wakefield spoke and moved from the dark corner she'd been standing in, she hadn't changed out of her evening dress, and the ruffled skirt whispered words when he couldn't understand. Lady Wakefield touched the larger box. This one, I think. Go on, woman. Open it. Open it! Winnie's hands shook as she pinched the ends of the bow between two fingers. She pulled slowly. Too slowly. For the Lady Wakefield seized Winnie's hands. She squeezed, squeezed, and then tugged. Winnie's nerves unraveled quicker than the ribbon, which the Lady Wakefield discarded over her shoulder. The fabric floated away. Open your gifts, Lady Wakefield commanded. Winnie's attention returned to the box. The lid came off with a rasp. And Winnie screamed. She screamed until she had no air left, until her vocal cords stretched to nothing. Beautiful, isn't he? Lady Wakefield said. Mr. William Potter is a taxidermist of extreme skill. He captured little Hector's innocent eyes perfectly. See how they follow you? His body is wood rigid. Mr. Potter used wire in the arms and legs so as to make him posable. Winnie's throat, raw and bleeding, ached with each new breath. The pain of life. She picked up the doll and its arms and legs swung free and its head fell backward, the glass used for his eyes imploring his mother, Why? The doorknob twisted, but the door remained closed. Edward shouted from the other side, and the barrier rattled as he rammed his shoulder into the wood. The small box now, dear. Winnie shook her head. Very well, Lady Wakefield said. I shall do it. She undid the box and lifted the lid. 
decanting the container until the heart inside was visible. Red mistletoe berries rolled around the organ. The Lady Wakefield cackled. Mr. Hector always said his home was where his heart was. Winnie's next high-pitched scream mixed with the Lady Wakefield's cackle until they were the same chord in the Devil's Symphony. Sometimes, kiddies, children just embody the entire holiday season. And sometimes, they scare the hell out of you. (laughs) Here's a story of a sweet little girl. This is the Duchess of Brimstone by Brett Berceau. The Duchess of Brimstone by Brett Berceau. Might someone buy my matches? The child's voice was small, but its sad timber cut through the wintry wind, though many on the busy London street pretended not to hear it. You can light a lamp and a fine cigar off the same strike again. The voice belonged to a girl of no more than six. She had stood on this corner every day since early November. A few farthings brought home nightly would keep her drunken father's beatings at bay. But so far this day, no one had shown pity on her. This was very sad indeed, for it was the night before Christmas Eve. As evening gave way to night, heavy snowflakes fell on her head, a thin cotton scarf its single protection. All she wore were two layered summer dresses that barely covered the knees, while rags smeared with tallow served as footwear. Her shoulders were the only part of her that was truly warm. They were wrapped in an old fox stole her father had found in the garbage heap down by the Thames. It smelled of mothballs and had been chewed on by something for quite some time before she came upon it. But it was her prized possession, and it was what made her grand. Since giving it to her, father had taken to calling her Duchess. The streetlights had all been lit, and Christmas shoppers were busy making last-minute purchases before the stores closed for supper. This was the hardest part of the day for the little waif, the time when the cold began in earnest. She lit one of the precious matches. The fleeting warmth renewed the girl's spirit. It was then that the carriage wheeled into view. How wondrous it seemed. It was new and white and appeared to almost glow as it came to a stop at the corner only a few feet away. And out of it stepped the most beautiful woman that Duchess had ever seen. The lady was dressed in rich maroon and emerald green. She wore a white waistcoat of ermine. With steady purpose, she approached the small child, bent down, and asked in an angelical voice, Do you have any family, little darling? No. The girl lied. Come with me, child. Oh, my. You are so cold, the grand woman said, and then took the shabby fox pelt from the urchin's shoulders and dropped it to the ground. She wrapped the girl in the fine fur of her ermine and put her in the beautiful carriage. A few hours later, a hulking man came by and picked the old fox stole from out of the slush-filled gutter. As he stared at it, his eyes narrowed a bit, but an evil smile crossed his face. The rest of the evening was like a fairy tale. After a short ride, they came to the woman's townhouse. There, the girl met the lady's handsome husband as well. He too welcomed the child with open arms. They all dined on a Yule feast of roasted goose, potatoes and gravy, bread and figgy pudding as well. Duchess could not remember being so full. After dinner, they all retired to the parlor. In the middle of the room stood a huge Christmas tree with all the trimmings. Gifts of all colors and sizes were piled around it. When Duchess opened the presents, she found toys and clothes 
just for a little girl her size, including winter boots. She was overjoyed. All of this was due to the fact that the couple had been planning on bringing her home since seeing her on the street corner a few days before. They had been trying to have a child for some time, but now, finally, their Christmas prayer was answered. A little girl of their own. After they finished opening gifts, the trio laughed and played, and they told stories that little girls loved to hear until it grew quite late. After a warm bath, they put her up in a cozy room with a canopy bed. Taking turns, they kissed her forehead goodnight and tucked her in lovingly for the night. Duchess seemingly fell right asleep. The couple walked down the hall and closed the double doors to their bedroom, and after a few minutes, they too fell into a deep, pleasant sleep in each other's arms. At midnight, the little girl's eyes fluttered open. She put on her new clothes and boots. The stairs creaked slightly as she tiptoed down them. She hesitated for a moment, but heard no sound. She continued downward and into the parlor. The lady's waistcoat had been left there. The little girl made a makeshift bag out of it and filled it full of the presents she had received. Though she couldn't fit them all, it would have to do. This, she sat by the front door. Much more quietly than before, she made her way back upstairs. Slowly, she undid the tasseled ties that hung by the long, heavy drapes in the hallway next to the couple's bedroom. She ran the sash between the large handles of the twin doors and tied them together with the sailor's knots her father had shown her. Once they were bound fast, she turned back to the curtains. The sulfur on the match head filled her nostrils with the smell of brimstone as it struck on the woodwork. The drapes were engulfed in flame and spreading to the ceiling and walls as she ran back down and let herself out the front door. This time, she didn't care how much noise she made. The ermine waistcoat was now wrapped around her frail body, the space between the fur and its lining filled with the gift she had been given. It dragged behind her with the newly fallen snow as she made her way down the alley and then onto the street. The red glow of the burning townhouse lit her way to the little shed by the tracks she called home. Where you been, you little guy snipe? And where's me money? Her father cuffed her hard on the side of her head. The girl gave the drunken man her newfound treasure. He threw it in a pile with the other things she had gotten for him. Getting a fine stack we are. It's off to the pawn shop tomorrow. You done good, missy. Ah, but aren't you forgetting something? She looked down at her new boots. As she took them off and began to wrap her feet in greasy rags, her father handed her the recoup fox stole. Happy Christmas, Duchess, he said. Oh, Father, this is the best Christmas ever. The next day, she made her way back to her corner. She reached into her dress pocket and pulled out a handful of sulfur-tipped wooden sticks. In a sad, small voice, she called out to the last-minute Christmas shoppers as they bustled by. Won't someone buy my matches? After a little bit, she lit one to stave off the cold. Just then, a grand carriage came to a stop in front of her. What kind of Chris Massacre episode would this be without a little poem? Something a little festive and seasonal. This one's by the great Jane Yolen. This one's called Old Krampus. (laughs) Old 
Krampus by Jane Yolen Read by Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes His tracks cloven cartons along the elven trails, steam in the early mist. A smell like sulfur with the touch of cinnamon avalanches down the mountainside. Patches of coarse grey hair cling to the rocks and crags like shaggy legends. Ahead his waist bells ring, and the shaking of his horns sound like the cries of eagles. Good children need not fear. Old Krampus has cookies for them, star-clustered, dusted with glitter. But the naughty Trixie boys, the stubborn, angry girls, he hauls away into the trees. We don't know where he takes them, but on Christmas Eve, their cries mix with the wind and bring a touch of fear to our joy. Well, boys and ghouls, we all know that the big advantage of having a large house is having a large basement to hide things in. Here's a little number that'll sure to keep you looking in the dark corners of your own basement. This one's called Basement Etiquette by Gwendolyn Keist. Basement Etiquette by Gwendolyn Keist. The Christmas Eve party at Countess Blackwood's New York Brownstone was a perfectly lavish and respectable affair, except, of course, for the screaming that rang up from the basement. It was a most shrill scream and one that set the older ladies on edge, though none of them copped to their impatience. After all, they all had things in their own basements that could shriek with equal shrillness, so they couldn't very well criticize Countess Blackwood's soiree on account of such a minor disturbance. Servants milled nervously about the parlor, distributing appetizers and trying not to stare at the long fingers snaking out from beneath the basement door. Meanwhile, the male guests smoked fat cigars in the corner and the women gathered around the fireplace, dining on Yule pastries and plum pudding and shrewsbury cake as the creature screamed again and gurgled too. Madam Archer smiled her best defense against the cry that grew louder with each excruciating moment. This wassail is divine. Thank you, Countess Blackwood said, sighing. I do wish the thing could have gotten its screeching out earlier. Has it eaten? Madam Archer whispered. We tried. You should have seen my servant George this morning with his falconer's glove, forcing food through the hatch in the door. Countess Blackwood laughed, a throaty laugh that sounded like a sparrow choking. Her guests laughed too, though a bit uneasily, since they weren't sure what was funny. I told George, Countess Blackwood continued, He'd be free to spend Christmas Eve with his family if he could only get the thing to take a plate of beef leavings. Sadly, it didn't go quite as planned. She regarded George, who held out a bandaged arm and sheepishly offered a plate of puff pastries to the men. The nearby fire roared and illuminated the portrait of the creature that hung sullenly over the mantel. It was a lean beast, blanched skin from lack of sunlight and gnarled limbs. A tiny patch of mange speckled the top of its egg-like head, and it boasted a mouthful of teeth, sharp as razors. Tradition dictated that you should display a prominent painting to let others know what your creature looked like. That way, no one could accuse you of hiding anything. As Countess Blackwood and the other women sipped wassail and devoured desserts, they were joined by Jude Derby, a dashing young gentleman with a small fortune from his mother's side. 
This inspired all the ladies, married or not, to titter like hens in heat. As everyone in society well knew, Jude was on the lookout for a wife. And here in the parlor were plenty of eager lasses to choose from. The doorbell rang, and a servant scurried to answer. In a flurry of snow and frozen air, the widow Whitman waltzed into the room, smiling and greeting everyone she met. The youngest of the ladies in attendance, and the boldest. She was arrayed in an off-the-shoulder carnation-colored dress, with garish crystals lining the breast. Pink, Madame Archer sneered. How ghastly! Though none of them would openly confess it, they were glad the widow Whitman had at last arrived. Quietly criticizing her eccentric choices was always a welcome distraction at parties, especially during the times when a basement creature became too loquacious. It's only been, what, a year since her husband's death? Jude asked, eyeing the widow from head to toe. Shouldn't she still be in mourning? She should be, Countess Blackwood said, but she is always one to design her own customs. The group chuckled as the widow Whitman made her way to the fireplace. It appears I've once again missed the most delightful joke, she said. Care to share? Oh, darling, it's nothing you'd find humorous, Countess Blackwood said. How is your new home? Not so new anymore, the widow settled in next to them. I've been moved in almost a year now. Madam Archer clucked her tongue. You simply must have a party, so we might all see this place. I shall try, the widow said. Silence befell the group until Countess Blackwood asked suddenly... Did you hear there's been another murder? The group feigned a gasp. Most of them had already seen the morning headline, but it was only proper to express horror anew any time another townie was murdered. Yes, it was Madame Miller's son, the Countess said, and added quickly, A wonderful young man. A lie, and they all knew it. He had been far from wonderful as half a dozen local girls, bruised and with child, could attest. The basement thing rattled against its door, and several bolts from the hinges shot off in every direction like bright sparks from a July 4th firework. A servant carrying an empty plate scampered into the kitchen to avoid being skewered. The countess suggested a game of charades, and the guests agreed. Anything to drown out the screaming... During the frivolity, Jude moved closer to the widow and rested his arm against hers. But she shifted away and warmed herself near the fire. The creature called out louder and thrust hard against the door, which bowed and cracked against the weight. Another bolt lost, and the thing would be loose. Madame Archer sipped what was left of her wassail and stood, smoothing the wrinkles from her satin dress. It's getting late, she said. Thank you, Countess Blackwood, for a lovely party. Coats were gathered in haste, and footsteps quickened into the foyer. George hailed several other servants to help him barricade the basement, as the whole door gave way, and the creature reached its bony arms to scratch whoever was closest. Oh dear, Countess Blackwood said, pacing frantically. It shall be so difficult to find a carpenter for repairs this close to Christmas. The guests streamed out of the house and locked the front door behind them. Outside, a delicate snow as pristine as Queen Anne lace blanketed the cobblestone streets. One by one, the guests climbed into their black carriages and departed, until only Jude and the widow Whitman remained. It isn't safe alone, he said. With your husband departed, you're in need of protection. The widow laughed. I'm doing fine on my own, thank you, she said, and slipped into her carriage. Jude caught her at the door. No one is fine on her own, 
he forced himself into the seat next to her, and the coach started forth into the streets. It was dark inside, except for a sliver of light streaming onto the widow's face. You look beautiful, he said, like there's a halo around you. I assure you I'm no angel, she said. Now please leave me. Not tonight, he said, and kissed her hard as if to suffocate her. She wrenched away and sighed. Pity. I didn't want to clean up blood again so soon. And on Christmas, no less. From out of the darkness, a gnarled hand emerged and caught around Jude's throat. He gagged and struggled in vain, his eyes filming over white and hands reaching blindly for the widow. Oh, didn't I tell you? She smiled, and the warm glow of the gaslight illuminated the rose in her cheeks. My new brownstone doesn't have a basement. Hello, kiddies. It's time to wrap things up. As the fire begins to slowly die, we have one more tale for you. This one's a little bit of a personal favorite of mine. Let's see if you can figure it out. Here's our old friend telling us one last tale. <laughs> the Lonesome Death of Phineas T. Crowley All things have a beginning, and all things have an end. For some things, however, there isn't an end, simply another beginning to something else entirely. This is not always a good thing, and the story I'm about to tell you is about one such thing. An incident back in the time of gaslights, horse-drawn carriages, and during the Christmas season, a time of picture-perfect joy and wonder. But... Underneath the joy and the wonder, there always lurks the one lace that threads us all together and makes us all equal. Man's inhumanity to man. Phineas T. Crowley was a kind and gentle librarian during this time in the small bustling village of Boonton, New Jersey. The Morris Canal ran right through it, bringing merchandise and goods from all over the world. It was a hub to the rest of the United States during its first century of existence, and right after the Civil War. Now Phineas was a very learned man who loved books more than almost anything, and that included people for the most part. But he did love children. Children had an unquenchable thirst for stories, adventures and exciting history, tales of distant lands and even other worlds. He would arrange story time for any child who had asked him to read, and he would fairly swoon at the chance. He would gather the children right in the center of the small library and sit right down on the floor with them. Or sometimes, he'd take the book and dance around the room, delighting all who would bear witness. None more so than a young widow named Penelope Smythe. Penelope was a sad woman most of the time, as she had lost her husband and children on the boat from England. She was also the most beautiful woman Phineas had ever seen. She would spend hours in the library every day losing herself in the volumes of books, and every day Phineas would watch her, observing her dour expression. The only time her expression would change was when he would read to the children. Without ever have spoken a single word to one another, they fell very much in love. It was during the week before Christmas that Phineas began to plan two things. One was a reading of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol for the children. The children were a complete delight to read this to, and it was both positive and just a little bit scary. The other was his plan to finally speak to the beautiful Penelope and tell her how he loved her so. All things seemed quite right in the world. This was not to last. 
a local landowner named Silas Martin had also fancied Penelope, but not for her good heart or even her good looks. He fancied her money, for she was unknown to Phineas, a very wealthy widow. And unlike Phineas, Silas had spoken to her, several times in fact, about the proposition of marriage. Each time, however, Penelope would tell Silas that her heart was broken and that she couldn't marry again. For the first time, she gave Silas a different answer. I'm truly sorry, Silas, but my heart is alive again and belongs to another, she said, and flitted away with a skip in her step. Silas became furious and hired a man to follow her so he could discover who would dare do such a thing to a man of his caliber. It didn't take long to discover Phineas and the library. So Silas put a horrible plan into motion. It was two days before Christmas Eve and Phineas was beginning to close the library for the night. He was excited for the next evening's storytelling and his chance to tell the lovely Penelope his true feelings. As he lifted a large stack of books onto a small unsteady cart, who should walk into the library but Penelope? He was shocked, but managed to smile. And she smiled back. He dropped the books, stumbled over them, and nearly ran to her. She beamed. Hello, he said, shaking. I, I love you. I love you too, she replied, and then giggled. They held hands and looked into one another's eyes, standing in the one place they both loved on all of the earth. A place filled with books, with hundreds of thousands of words, and not a single one could describe what the two of them were feeling at that moment. So they didn't try. They stood in silence, saying all they needed to each other. All they had ever both wanted to hear was being discussed without the clumsy intrusion of sound, and it was glorious. After a moment, they did finally speak, agreeing to meet up at the storytelling the next day. Penelope kissed his cheek and left him in the library, smiling. He went back to finish his work when he heard the door slam. For a moment, he believed it was Penelope returning, but he couldn't have been more wrong. It was Silas and two large men entering the library. Having no knowledge of Silas's obsession with Penelope, he didn't flinch or feel threatened in any way. I'm sorry, gentlemen and Mr. Martin, he said, still smiling. The library will be open first thing in the morning. I'm afraid we're closed. It seems you're not afraid at all, Silas said, also smiling. But you very much should be. Phineas didn't understand the statement. Nor did he understand when the two large men grabbed him and began to beat him mercilessly. He managed to get a few licks in, but in the end, the two brutes were too powerful for him. As he lay there broken and bleeding in the center of the library, the two thugs began to throw books upon books atop him. He couldn't move and simply lay there in agony. Oh dear, Silas said, chuckling. Whoever shall read to the kiddies tomorrow? I expect this to be a very sad Christmas, Mr. Crowley. Look at him, one of the thugs said. Looks more like Mr. Creepley than Mr. Crowley. This indeed was true. Phineas's face was a patchwork of blood and dangling skin. Most of his teeth had been knocked out, and both of his eyes had been bruised beyond repair. He gasped for air through a nearly broken windpipe. Don't worry yourself about Miss Smythe, old boy, Silas said. I shall see that she and her fortune are well cared for. This ignited a burning anger within Phineas, and he struggled to rise, but he was far too weak. Enjoy what's left of the Christmas season, Mr. Creepley, Silas said, lighting a match. For however long it lasts. 
The two large men left the library, leaving Silas and Phineas alone for a moment. Silas laughed and tossed the wooden match atop the pile of books that had been stacked on Phineas. Silas left Phineas to burn, along with his beloved library. For whatever reason, as the flames began to lick his flesh, Phineas began to croak louder and louder, until it almost sounded like laughter. Six months after the worst fire the town had ever seen, another unthinkable thing happened. The devastated Penelope married the dower Silas Martin. The ceremony was somber to say the least, with a wedding party of only five people. No one knew what Silas had said or offered to Penelope to change her mind, nor did anyone ask. However, Shortly after the wedding, construction began on a new library. The goal was to have the library completed by the next Christmas, a near-impossible feat by regular building standards for the time. But where there's a whip, as they say, there's a way. The Phineas T. Crowley Library was set to open on Christmas Eve, but a small ceremony had been arranged the day before, by the new Mrs. Martin for her husband and his two assistants. She ushered them inside that evening and the library was such a sight to behold. It was bigger and quite ornate. It was well lit with gaslight bulbs from every possible angle. It was something beautiful to behold. And yet, it was also sad. Phineas would have adored it. You gentlemen wait here, Penelope said curtly, exiting the room and rushed out of the building. The three men looked at each other and began to chuckle. Why did you let her build this monument to Creepley? One of the thugs said through a chuckle. Oh, the cost was a pittance, Silas said. She has so much more money than she knows what to do with. Fortunately, I do. In fact, he was going to say, in fact, I have plans to build a new mansion. But he stopped at, in fact, due to the bright gaslights suddenly fading and going out, save for one. The light was toward the back of the library and underneath of it was a lone figure who stood in the shadows. The appearance of this figure startled the three men. The shadowed figure began to laugh. <laughs> you had once lamented, dear Silas, the hollow voice said. Who shall read to the kiddies? The figure began to move forward. Not knowing what or who was walking toward them, they began to back themselves up. Where do you think you're going? The voice said. It's story time! A second gaslight came up, revealing the figure to be a man in a burial suit. He resembled a molded, scalded corpse with a smile of shattered teeth. Silas, of course, knew who it was, as did his two henchmen, and they all began to scream. All of the lights came back on at once, brighter than before, and became brighter still to the point of blinding. All the while, the figure laughed. I know you, screamed Silas. I know who you are. Of course you do, Silas, the figure said. I am your librarian, and I think... You're not going to like this story one little bit, but... The librarian moved quickly and right next to Silas. It's a real scorcher of a tale! <laughs> the librarian began to laugh even louder than before, 
as each and every gaslight in the library exploded. The explosion knocked Penelope off of her feet and into a pile of snow near the horse carriage. She had dropped the gun she was going to use to shoot Silas. It was a two-shooter, one for him and one for her. She turned around to see the library she'd built for her one true love burn and burn into the night. Eventually, the fire department arrived and began the chain of buckets from the pond to the doomed building. Pages from books floated down from the sky in various forms of burning and char. Penelope caught one and saw that something had been written on it. It was simply a heart, crudely drawn in red. It was the end of one thing, as I was saying. It was also the beginning of something else. <laughs> Merry Christmas, kiddies! <laughs> I bet you didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Who knew I was such an old softie? Well, boils and ghouls, that is all the massacre for you this year. Make sure you stick around. Dan and the Wicked Library will be back soon. As for me, I'll be floating around. Almost right behind you when you least expect it. <laughs> Remember, kitties, leave the Christmas lights on. It'll be easier to find you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Wicked Library. This is Daniel Foytek, and I just want to take a moment and thank everybody. We've seen some amazing growth this season for The Wicked Library. We still have more to go. We have a New Year's Eve episode coming up next week, and then we'll have another news story for you every other week after that. So plenty more to go. But we have had just an amazing amount of growth this season, and we've just had some really cool stories, some great artwork, some amazing music. I just, it's amazing what we've been able to do this season, and there's plenty more to go. So please keep listening, keep sharing, and uh, keep coming back to get more fresh stories. Today's show featured the following stories Yuletide Ride by Yours Truly, Boxing Day by C. Brian Brown, The Duchess of Brimstone by Brett Borisso, Old Krampus by Jane Yolen. Basement Etiquette by Gwendolyn Keist The Lonesome Death of Phineas T. Crowley by Nelson W. Piles If you'd like more information on any of the authors and their work please visit the show notes Man, we had a lot of them today so I'm just going to send you guys over to the show notes Please do go visit It's real simple It's just thewickedlibrary.com forward slash x4 and that'll take you right into the show notes You can get links to all the authors' work Please do support them it's not too late to pick up a last-minute Christmas gift, send somebody a book or a digital download for their Kindle. And speaking of digital downloads, big thanks to Sam Haynes at www.hauntmusic.co.uk or samhaynes1.bandcamp.com with some great music, The Gift of Christmas Fear, horror music for Creepmas, and you heard some of that work in today's episode. Please check the show notes for links and song titles. Not only does he have horror music for Christmas, or I'm sorry, Creepmas, but he also has tons of other CDs and digital downloads on there with similar themed music, stuff that would be great for Halloween or, you know, like us, the folks that like horror. You know, it's probably just atmospheric music, maybe help you relax and meditate, that kind of thing. Get you chilled out after a long day of work. 
Also want to give a big thanks to Knox Arcana, who came through with the rights to use some of their music as well. They have a great collection of music and other things on their website. So not only can you get some great dark-themed music, but you can also pick up things like their Gothic Tarot Compendium. T-shirts, posters, greeting cards, postcards, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff. I encourage you to go check out the website. You'll find their work over at noxarcana.com. Tons of great stuff over there, so do go check it out. Please support the folks that help us put the show together. Artwork for today's show was created by Jeanette Andromeda. If you'd like more information on Jeanette and her work, you can visit her over at horrormade.com or follow her on Twitter at horrormade. She's also got a great Facebook page, a Pinterest page, and some really amazing artwork over there at her horrormade.com website, as well as a YouTube channel and a Tumblr page and a ton of stuff. So please go check her out. And of course, please don't forget to support our sponsors, Shadows at the Door, Sanitarium Magazine, Stigmata Studios, Rickert and Beagle Books, and horrormade.com. Please share the terror, share the show and help us grow. Of course, the best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Ratings are free, and they mean a lot to us. They also help the show grow. Follow us on Twitter at Wicked Library. Find us on Facebook and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and coming soon, Google Play. We're pretty much everywhere. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to get great prizes, bonus content, and more. You can sign up at thewickedlibrary.com. And lastly... Please help out our other show, The Lift. We're looking to get some of you folks over there to listen to that fantastic show. There's episodes up there by some of the authors that you heard today. Myself, Nelson W. Piles, C. Brian Brown, Gwendolyn Keist has an episode coming up. Also, Mark Nixon, who you've heard on this show before, and plenty more to come. It's a great show. It's a lot of fun to do. It features our Victoria, who you heard in today's episode. And we're getting a lot of great feedback on it. So please head on over to victoriaslift.com. Check out the show. We're going to be coming into iTunes with that show coming in January or February. Since we're not in iTunes yet, the way we grow is by your word of mouth. So any support you can give us is greatly appreciated. You can also check us out on Facebook, on Twitter. Just head on over to victoriaslift.com and get all the information and listen to some really fun episodes of that show. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic readings were performed by me, Amber Collins, and Nelson W. Piles. The voice of the librarian was performed by Nelson W. Piles, the voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes, Society 13, and Duchess was performed by Amber Collins. The Wicked Library theme was written by Anthony Rousick and performed by Novus. All other music in this episode was performed by the aforementioned Knox Arcana, Sam Haynes, and Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used with their permission. Check the show notes for links, titles, and credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. Producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and creator, Nelson W. Piles. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at www.thewickedlibrary.com forward slash x4. Until next time, give the gift of the Wicked Library. Pass on the show to your friends. And hey, we know what? We have t-shirts too. If you want to get a t-shirt, just let us know. Head on over to wickedlibrary.com. You can pick up one of those for yourself or a friend or someone you don't like. I don't care. Just buy one. They're awesome. Until next time, Merry Christmas. And good night. <laughs> oh, shit. Here comes Santa Claus. Get the shotgun. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library. Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time. 
This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.